Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak to you. I invite you to come back tonight, and uh, we will talk about some lessons from Gideon in the book of Judges. I believe it's lessons that will uplift you. It'll help you to feel better about your walk with God, and, and hopefully you'll come back and do that. I want you to think about sight with me just for a little while. Are you thankful for your ability to see? God has given us an amazing ability uh, to be able to open our eyes, or at least the majority of the people, to be able to open their eyes and to be able to see all the things around them. In fact, we are, we're kind of obsessed with sight. We like to see things because when we see things, it assures us of those things. It makes us feel better about whatever is going on. I, I thought about it even on the way to services this morning with our our children, we open up our, our phone and, and maybe you've got Live 360 and you can pull it up and, and you know where your child is because you can see that dot on your phone. It gives you a location and, and it gives you some peace and some comfort to be able to see. So you see, our, our ability to, to be able to see things, to have vision, it helps us in our life. just helps us with our, our work. Most of you know this, I, I'm a logger. So if someone calls me and says, hey, I've got a farm and I would like for you to cut the trees on this farm. One time in my life, I agreed to do that without going to look at it. One time in my life, I made a dumb decision. I won't do that again. It was somebody near and dear to me and I said, yeah, I'll cut it for you and I'll even do it cheaper than normal. Just because how much I like you. Oh, I won't ever do that again. So you see, I've learned you go out and you want to put your eyes on it. You want to see what size trees are there. You want to see maybe where you're going to have to build roads and all the things that you're going to have to do to be able to get that job done. So I depend upon my sight to make that happen. Maybe you're going to go on a trip. How many of you would want to go on a trip without being able to see where you're going? I'm not talking about to lose your eyesight, but I'm talking about the fact to, to be able to look at a map. To, to open your phone and, and get on your Google Maps and, you know, to punch in an address and, and for, to be able to see the turns you're going to make. You see, we wouldn't want to do that. Because, again, our sight helps us to be assured. It helps us to be in control of what it is we're doing. How many of you would want to build a house? Maybe you up and you decide, hey, I, I think I want to build a house. So you call up a contractor and you say, I, I want to build a house. And... And they say, well, what do you want? Well, I'm, you know, I don't really know for sure. You tell me what you can do. And they say, well, I can do this, 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 this. And you say, okay, that's good. Just go ahead and do it, right? No, you're not going to do that. You want to see pictures. You want to see, you know, a blueprint. You want to see how big each room is. You want to see all of those things because you're not going to make a decision without that. Because, again, that takes the control out of your hands. Maybe you want to pick out a brick to go in the house and maybe they're going to tell you to, to go to so-and-so road and, and those people use that brick. So you're going to drive over there, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, yeah, I like that. Or, or no, I don't like that. And you're go look at something else. So you see, we depend upon our sight. What if you're going to run in a race? How do people complete a marathon? You ever thought about that? Because they know where the finish line is. They can see how far they've gone and how far it is that they've got to go. So therefore, it motivates them to, to continue to go because of their sight. Well, what about your health? 
What about your health? Maybe you, you start experiencing health problems and, and something's just not quite right. And you go to the doctor and you say, Doc, there's something wrong with me. Don't you depend upon him finding out what it is and you've been able to see what it is? Why do you think they put you in those little machines? I hate being in an MRI machine. I used to not be claustrophobic, but I'm a big boy. You've got to really squeeze up. Oh, I hate it. But you go in that MRI machine and you can see what is inside of your body. You can take a CT scan, an x-ray, all of those things, and, and you can see and the doctor can say, right here it is. Right here it is. You've got this problem and, and this is what we're going to do. And maybe he shows you a picture, a chart, or whatever it is. And in doing so, that helps you to find some comfort, right? That gives you an assurance. It helps you to be able to endure what it is that you're going to have to face. You see, our sight is huge to us. It's huge. Think about it religiously. Sometimes when it comes to Christianity and religion, one of the biggest obstacles that we face is there are things I can't see. Physically, I have never seen God. Have you? If you say yes, you need to talk to me afterwards and we'll, we'll talk about all that. You've not seen God. No man has seen God at any time, the Bible says. Oh, Moses saw his back. But nobody can physically see God. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. I have never seen Jesus Christ. Have you? Have you ever seen the cross that he hung upon and the nails that were driven in? Oh, you saw something that somebody, you know, tried to do or maybe reenacted or, or maybe you saw a movie about it and, and all of those things, but you've never seen Jesus. You have never seen the Holy Spirit. Oh, you read about him in John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus tells those apostles, I'm sending my Spirit unto you. He's the Comforter. He's going to help you in all of these ways. And, but you've never seen it. You've never seen the kingdom. The church. You say, oh, I do see the church. It's right here. I am among the church this morning. I agree with you. But what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 17? He said when people are going about and they say, oh, there's the kingdom. Or no, there's the kingdom. He says, you can't see the kingdom. He says the kingdom is within you. It is a spiritual entity and we can't physically see it. You know, I've never seen salvation. Have you? I believe wholeheartedly that in salvation and the way to obtain salvation, but I've never seen it. I can't lay my eyes upon it. It's not, you know, something that I can drive and get there and say, oh, right here it is. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen forgiveness? You say, oh, yes, I've experienced forgiveness. Have you ever seen forgiveness? You see, there's people all over the world that claim they have forgiveness but yet they claim they have forgiveness differently than what I claim when it comes to forgiveness. So, you know, who's right? Which one has actually seen forgiveness? You can't see it, can you? What about heaven? You ever seen heaven? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul was transported up into the third heaven and, and he got to see some of it. And man, can you imagine what motivation can you imagine if you could, God would just transport you just for 30 seconds up into heaven and you could see the, uh, the majesty of it, would it change your whole life? Yeah, but you can't see it. 
And sometimes, sometimes don't you think, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if God would just speak to me? Wouldn't it be nice if, if God could just give me these visions like He did the people in the Bible and, and I could just see these things and man, it would make life so much easier. If you've not thought that, you're probably in the minority. Because I would expect most of us have actually thought those things. If I could just see it, if I could just touch it, if I could feel it, if I could whatever it is, then it would be so much more real and, and it would be so much easier. But you see, God tells us, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And you know what? That's hard. That's hard. I'm not going to stand up here before you this morning and tell you that, that that's an easy thing to do. And, and you say, yeah, but you've got the Bible and you know all the... I know I've got the Bible. But does that mean that, that my life, it always just makes everything come easily? No. You see, because again, maybe more now than ever before, we are a very sight-oriented people. I began this lesson and I said, you know, with our children, we've got Live 360 on our phone and we can see where they are at all times. But, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I was a teenager and you know what? My parents didn't have that. And they made it. But today, we are so sight-oriented, we want to be in such control, we've got to have it. So maybe this verse is harder now than maybe it used to be in the past. Because we are so used to everything being at our fingertips. We're used to being able to get what we want and see what we want, all those different things. Today, I want to focus on being able to see without sight. You can't see God, Jesus, the Spirit. You can't see forgiveness. You can't see heaven with your eyes. You can't experience that, you know, with your vision. You can't touch it and all of those different things. But brethren, I still believe that we can see it. But we've got to see it with our eye of faith. I appreciate Jim reading John chapter 20, 24 through 29. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want us to remember in John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus says, blessed are those that believe, though they have not seen. You know, it would have been an amazing thing to live in Bible times. Would it not? It would have been an amazing thing to, to walk with Jesus. Man, those, those apostles, they walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They saw everything that He did. And wow, that would have been just awesome to be able to see that. To live in the Old Testament times and God is speaking and, and performing miracles all around us. And, and to see that, no doubt, I would think at least, it would be far easier to believe. But we don't live in those times. We don't live in those times. We live in times that, uh, that those types of things, they don't happen anymore. The age of the miracle, that, that has long since ceased and and we don't get to see things like people used to get to see them. But you know what? God, God's made us some promises. God has made us some promises, and, and, but sometimes those promises are hard to see. I wrote down some. God promised to give us strength. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul, he prayed a prayer, and he says, I bow my knee before the God and Father of Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. And he prayed, he says, 
I pray that God will strengthen you as Christians. Do you believe that, that God will strengthen us? In Philippians 4.13, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who does what? He strengthens me. God has promised that He will strengthen me in my times of weakness. But do you always see that? No. Sometimes maybe you think you see it, but then you turn around and you look at other people and you think, it sure does seem like He's strengthening them too. So is He really doing anything for me? Or, or I mean, listen, let's be honest with this, church. We need to stop having the whole mindset of we're better than everybody else because we're not. We're all, the, we're all the same. We have doubts. We have struggles. Sometimes we can't see the strength God gives us. God promises to give us rest. That would be uh, this kind of comfort and, and peace that is within. And, and Jesus said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but with everything... Through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It will, it will guard your hearts and minds. It will give you comfort. It will give you peace. It will give you rest. That is a promise. Sometimes I can't see it in difficult times. Sometimes it's hard because, again, I look around and it seems like people are more restful, more comforted than I am. So it's hard to see. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, My God will supply all of your needs. He'll supply all of your needs. And Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, Don't worry, I will take care of everything you need. Sometimes we doubt that, don't we? Sometimes we doubt that because it seems like those other people that maybe are not even attempting to live for God, well, their needs are met even exceeding mine. Sometimes God promises they look far away. John chapter 14, 13 and 14, Jesus told those uh, uh, followers there, He says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He told them in a host of other passages, I will answer your prayers, but that is a promise. But do you always see that? Oh, sometimes you think God is not listening. Sometimes you think God's not answering my prayers. Sometimes, if you are completely honest, you think God doesn't really care. You ever felt that way? I know you have, if you want to be honest. Because again, it's hard to see. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And I know that's true because the Bible says it. Man, sometimes that's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to see how God is working things out for good. Because again, I'm trying to see it with these two things in my head here. I'm trying to envision what it is, and sometimes that's hard. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, God will never leave me nor forsake me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Verse 6, why should I fear any man? Why should I fear anybody? God is going to always be with me. But let me ask you something. Do any of you ever have trouble seeing that? Do any of you ever have trouble feeling that within you? That God is never going to leave you or forsake you? If you're honest, you do. Because it's hard. It's hard because you don't always see it. Again, we says God says that He will forgive us. 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I know that that is an absolute promise to God. 
but sometimes I confess those sins unto him, but just for the life of me, I just can't see that he's going to forgive me. Because sometimes we are our own worst critic, and we won't allow God to forgive us. And it's hard, hard to see that promise. You know, Romans 8 tells us if God will be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, but sometimes I look around this world and and it sure does seem like God loves other people more than me. He made a promise. Man, it's hard to see. And again, heaven. He made a promise. John 3, 16, that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He told us, Jesus Himself in John chapter 14, I... He goes to prepare a place for us, and if He goes to prepare a place, He'll come again and receive us unto Himself, that where He is, there we will be also. And I know that He said that, but never seen it. So it's hard. It's hard. You know, I wanted today's lesson to be very real. And if we are very real with one another, we struggle with those promises. Because sometimes they're so hard to see. So hard to see. And you know what? If we open up our Bibles, you know what gives me comfort? You know, I said it should have been easier if we were, if we were walking through all of these miraculous times and we saw all of these miraculous things. And, and in fact, God actually spoke to us and we could see miracles and, and these people walked with Jesus. I said it should have been easier, right? Let me tell you something. Today, I will be completely honest. If I can see something with my eyes, it is far easier for me to believe than it is to hear something with my ears. And every one of you is probably the same way. But you know what? Even those people, even those people that could see with their eyes, sometimes they were blind. Sometimes it was like they had a blindfold on. Even though they experienced it firsthand, they still had doubts. They still struggled even though they had sight. And you and I, we don't have sight. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you're very familiar with the story. The Bible says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he come to Eve and he says, has God said that you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? This serpent had a plan, right? Has God said that Eve? And she said, no, God said we can eat of of every tree of the garden uh, except one. And that one is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, if we eat of that tree, we'll die. Well, what did the serpent say? You won't die. You will not surely die. He added one word to what God said, and, and he said, you know what, Eve? Here's the problem. God knows. God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be just like him. You'll know good from evil, and God doesn't want you to know everything. God is withholding from you. But I want us to notice Genesis 3, verse 6. This goes right along with our lesson. Eve lived in a time that God miraculously created absolutely everything. She lived in a garden that the Bible describes it's, it's just like heaven. The Bible begins with the Garden of Eden. The Bible ends with heaven, which is just like the Garden of Eden. It's what the Bible says. It describes it in the same way. So Eve had everything. And God would speak to them. And Satan comes along and he, he deceives her. Notice verse 6. When she saw. Now think about that for a minute. You can underline that in your Bible. 
when she saw. She, she knew what God could do. She knew what He was capable of doing. She knew what He had done and all of those things. She knew what He said. But when her eyes deceived her, when she saw the tree was good for food and, and it was desirable to make one wise and, and it was pleasant to the eyes, all of those things, what did she do? She ate of it. You see, because her sight was more powerful than her faith. You know what that tells me? I have the same problem. Sometimes my sight overrides my faith. Well, let's go on down. What about in Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 14? God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah, and he says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And, and in Genesis chapter 18, he sends these angels, and, and they're, going to have, uh, they're going to eat with Abraham and Sarah, and they renew that promise. God's going to give you a son. And about chapter 10, they begin to tell her this, and what does Sarah do? She laughs at God. She laughs, and she says, I, I, you're crazy, I can't have a son. I mean, at this point, she's almost 90 years old. What was the problem? She was looking with her eyes, and not with her faith. You see, she was basing upon what was before her, and what she saw, and what she knew, and she could not walk by faith. In fact, sometimes we look down upon Sarah, but you know, Abraham's just as guilty. Oh, he didn't laugh the same way Sarah did. He laughed in Genesis 18, but his laugh was, you know, in surprise. I, you know, I just can't believe God's still going to do this. But you realize Abraham was just as guilty? God had made a promise, and a few chapters earlier, Abraham and Sarah hatched a plan to, to bring their own seed about, and therefore Abraham committed adultery with Hagar and had another son to try to go around God because ultimately their sight triumphed over their faith. You see, this is nothing new. What about Moses? Could Moses see God's plan? You know, God comes to him at a burning bush, and just think about this for a second. If you could physically see a burning bush that's not being consumed, and there is an audible voice speaking to you from heaven, telling you to take the shoes off your feet, because you're standing on holy ground, don't you think you would pay attention and do exactly what the voice said? Honestly. If I could see that, I believe I, there's no doubt. Probably not, though. That's what I think. Probably not. You see, Moses couldn't see God's plan. God tells him all of these plans as he's got laid out for him. I can't see it, God. I can't do it, God. You don't understand, God. I, I, I'm depending on what I know and what I see. What about Aaron? What about Aaron? Moses had left the people and had went up on Mount Sinai and, and the people couldn't see Moses anymore. They couldn't see him, so therefore what happened? They needed something to see. And Aaron was a, a man of God. He was Moses' spokesperson. and So Aaron said, bring me all your gold. And, and he made a golden calf. And he said it before him. Why? Because they needed something to see because they based more upon what they saw than their faith. And it sounds a lot like, a, like us. Oh, well, we don't make golden calves, but we depend far more upon what we see than what we actually know to be true because of God's Word. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, he had decided that that was it. He couldn't live any longer and God just needed to take him because he just couldn't see any good in the world anymore. He had allowed what he couldn't see to override the great faith that he had. And God had to reassure him, 
you know, Elijah, you may not see everything, but you know what? I still got a plan. I still got people. I've still got people just like you that are on my side, and I'm still in control of all things. And even though he couldn't see it, God still encouraged him to believe it. What about John the Baptist? Jesus says, among those born of women, there's none greater than John. So you and I, we're not a better man than John the Baptist. I mean, he, he is the epitome of what it means to be faithful. But in Matthew chapter 11, when he finds himself locked up in prison, and he can no longer physically see Jesus, what happens? His sight got in the way, right? He couldn't see him anymore. And all of a sudden, he can't see him. And he's just like this guy on the screen. He's, he, he's blindfolded, and, and there is for his faith, his suffering, and he sends a message. And are you really, really the Messiah? Maybe he was thinking, if you're really the Messiah, and I've done all of these things, man, I have. I've paved the way for you. I've been the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I've done everything intended for me to do. And now you've allowed me to be in prison here and I'm about to be killed. And therefore his sight took over and his own rationale took over and it pushed his faith aside and, and he's questioning God. He's questioning Jesus. And we do the exact same thing. Don't you open your Bible with me quickly to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and I want you to see I want you to see people I want you to see people, and I know our time's running short, and I'll do this quickly. John chapter 6, it opens up. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. He's feeding the 5,000 because he had compassion upon them. He says they look like sheep without a shepherd, and he, he wants to do good. So he feeds the 5,000, and, and when it's over, verse 14, it says, man, they had seen the sign that Jesus had done. And they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world Therefore, when Jesus perceived, they had a plan, right? They saw what Jesus had done. And in seeing that, they realized He is that prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 18, there's a prophet going to rise like Moses. He's going to be the leader of the people. Hey, this is the new Moses. This is the guy. So they've got a plan. Well, they're going to take him by force, and they're going to make him a king. You realize this is a theme through the whole uh, four Gospels? These people wanted to see Jesus physically sitting up on a throne in Israel. They wanted to see Him fight their battles, defeat their enemies, and in doing so, it would, it would build them up. It would help them to have assurance because it was something they wanted to see. But you see, there's a problem. There's a problem. Jesus, that wasn't what it was all about. And they didn't understand that, but... Uh, Jesus kind of goes away. He slips out. He goes up in the mountain. He walks on the water. We can talk about all of that some other time. But they go over to the other side of the sea. Verse 24, when the people therefore they saw that Jesus was not there, again, they're, they're looking with their eyes. They're trying to see, where is He at? Where is He at? Where is He at? Well, He eventually comes over, verse 30, and they said to Him, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Now hold on just a second. They had just seen Jesus take a, a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, but yet they're still, we need to see more. What sign are you going to do? Show us something. 
We're going to work for you. We want to follow you. But you have got to show us something. We need to see it with our eyes. Well, he tells them, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the bread from heaven. You know, Moses, he, he called out and God gave bread from heaven. He says, I'm the bread from heaven. And, well, verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. In other words, show us. Rain down bread from heaven right now. And if we see it, oh, then we'll know that it's you. But here's the problem. They couldn't see that Jesus was the bread from heaven. He goes on to tell them they complained and they complained because he says he's the bread from heaven. How is it that he can say he's come down from heaven? I, I can't see that. I, 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 you know, I, Jesus, he's, he's a carpenter's son and he was born in a stable and we know all of that tradition. He's not come down from heaven because I cannot see it with my eyes. Well, then he goes on to tell them about his flesh. He's going to give his life for them. And again, they can't see it. How are you going to give us flesh to eat? And the problem is, through this whole conversation, they are looking for something to physically see to motivate them to service. And in verse 60, they turned to Jesus and they said, this is too hard. It's too hard. You're not giving us anything to see. And verse 66, they, they follow Him no more. Because again, they were a people focused <clears throat> upon sight. Again, just like us, a people focused on sight. You know, we began this lesson and we, we read John 20, 24-29 when Thomas was there and, and he says, I will not believe unless I can see Him. Unless I can touch the holes in His hands and put my finger in His side, I won't believe it. And sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas, but yet, he just wanted proof. But you know what? In Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, the other 11 apostles felt the exact same way. The Bible says, none of them believed that he rose from the dead. None of them. None of them believed it until they laid eyes upon him. In fact, these apostles struggled so much that even after Jesus had arose from the dead, and, and appeared to them, talked to them, fed them, did all of these things unto them, they still struggled so much that right before He ascended in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they looked at Him and they said, Lord, will it you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Alright, we've been through all of these things. But Lord, isn't it right now that you're going to go and you're going to sit on that throne and we're going to see you there? They still didn't see it. So before you beat yourselves up, before you feel so bad that sometimes that you struggle with your eye of faith, you're in good company. You're in good company, see, because sometimes it's hard to see. Talk about heaven. Talk about heaven. You know, two weeks ago today, we started a gospel meeting. Started a gospel meeting, and man, we heard some great lessons on heaven. And, and we stood up here, and we talked about how wonderful it will be, and and how great it will be when we get there. And we, we just described it in every way that we could possibly describe it. But here's something that I hear quite frequently. Is it really attainable? You ever considered that? Is it really attainable? Again, I've not seen it. Can't touch it. The Bible tells me all of those things about it, but ultimately I just don't know that I can do all of those things through the way that, that God wants me to do all those, all those things. So can I even get there? 
Is it even something that I can do? And you see, there's kind of two schools of thoughts on that, and we've got friends and all these other denominations on this hand, and, and it really, it doesn't matter what you do. You can be married 17 times. You can live with whoever you want to. You can do just anything you want to do, and it really doesn't matter. You're still okay with God, and you can go to heaven. And then you've got those on this side that, that proclaim that you've got to do everything exactly perfect, and you never can falter, and, and you've got to measure up to a certain standard, or you're not going to get there. And sometimes we are left thinking, what's the use? You ever thought that? I know that on this side is wrong because if you can do whatever you want to and go to heaven, why give me the Bible? Tell me how to be saved. Get out of my way. Leave me alone. I know that's wrong. But then sometimes in the church, honestly, we preach a, a works-based merit salvation. You say, no, we don't. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We, we make out like that there's a checklist and if we don't check every you know, box on the list, we're not going to make it. And sometimes we act like God is standing up there with a magic wand and every time you do something wrong, zap, you're it, zap, you're it. Can't do, I mean, what do we do? Is it obtainable? Is it something that, that I can someday at the end of time, am I really going to get to be there? You See, this is where your faith's got to come into play. God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And I assure you, if He were not, no one would be in heaven. No one. Can you uh, obtain heaven? Is it attainable for you and I? Yeah. Do you have to check every box? Nobody can check every box. Nobody can dot every I, cross every T. No one can live perfectly enough to be there. If they could, then Jesus' sacrifice was wasted. Can you attain it? Can you get there someday? Yeah. How are you going to do that? I spent all this whole lesson to get back to this fact. You're just going to have to trust in God. You're just going to have to trust in Him. You just picture yourself, and God is up on the top of this mountain, and you're trying to climb this mountain, and you've got the rope in your hand, and God's got the other end of the rope. Do you trust Him enough to let Him pull you along? Because ultimately, that's the only way you're going to get there. You can't get there yourself. can't be good enough. can't be faithful enough. And that doesn't mean, well, just don't try. That's not what I'm saying at all. But the point comes back to you've got to put your faith in God. God has promised that He loves us. God has promised that He will be merciful to us. God has promised that He will save us. He has promised He would forgive us. He has promised us a home in heaven. And ultimately, it comes down to the fact that we believe God's going to do what He says. You know, the Old Testament says that. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that He should lie. Why would He say that? You and I lie. And anybody that says they don't, you're lying right now. We, we lie sometimes. We, we tell things with the intent to deceive sometimes, but God is not like a man. God does not lie. Or a son of man that He should change His mind. God doesn't say, I'm going to save you if you believe and are baptized and just try to live faithful to me and then say, nah, listen, I, you know, sometimes we change our mind, right? Sometimes I might tell you I'm going to do something, but I, I might change my mind about it. And I may go another direction, but God's not like that. God's not like that at all. Has He said and will He not do it? If God has said it, 
He will do it. You see, yeah, that's Old Testament. What about New Testament? What about New Testament? In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And that hope, he's the anchor of our soul. Now let's think about this for a second. The writer here says by two immutable things. Here's the two immutable things. God said he would do those things, and God swore he would do those things. And you know what the Hebrew writer says? It's impossible for God to lie. So if I will forget my eyes that are in my head and my, my human reasoning that is within my mind, and I look at God with my eye of faith, and I walk by faith and not by sight, and I realize that He has said He would do this, He has sworn He will do this, and it is impossible for Him to lie, then you know what? It makes it a little bit easier. Oh, I may struggle from time to time, but I come back to these same things. When I know that God has promised to do it, and I know that He cannot lie, it should give me a strong consolation. It's a, it should console my weakness. It should console me in my shortcomings. It should provide me the refuge that I need to, to lay down my head at night and to know that, hey, God's got this. And even though I look around me and I see all the chaos and all of these different things that people believe, and if those things can't be traced back to the book that is in your lap, then I, I can know that even though it seems like everything is good, it's got to come back to God. God has said what He wanted us to do, and He has told us if we will do that, He will see us through to the end, and I am left to choose whether or not I'm going to believe it. God is offering us an anchor for our souls today. What does an anchor do? It holds us in place, right? And even though you may struggle with all of those things just like I do, man, don't think that I'm above you because I struggle with every one of those things all the time because I can't see it. We like to be in control. We like to know what's going on. But you see, we don't always get to. And we've got to look at God with our eye of faith. And if we will put Jesus ever before our eyes and allow Him to be that anchor of our soul, then we can walk through this life with more comfort, with more peace, with more strength, with more everything that we talked about that God had promised. But we've got to look at it through these verses. We've got to look at it through our Bible, and we've got to put what we think and what we feel beside. This morning, if you're not a New Testament Christian, we beg you this morning to consider being a New Testament Christian. You can come forward today and believing in the gospel, repent of your sins, confess his name, and we will baptize you today. Most of you are Christians. Maybe you have allowed your sight or what you cannot see to dictate your spiritual life. Maybe you have allowed that to pull you away from God and you just you're having trouble. Again, all of us have trouble trusting him and, and fully giving yourself over to him. And maybe today it's to the point that, that maybe you've wandered away. And you've allowed Satan to do just like he did to Eve. You see, Satan did to Eve. He realized that what she could see was very, very powerful. 
But what she couldn't see was also very, very powerful. And he used that against her. And today, God or Satan may be using that against you. This morning, if you need anything, won't you come while together we stand and sing?